Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 356, we're going to steal a child back and thwart the Red Wizards of Thay as we discuss Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. And joining us for our conversation about the latest D&D movie, we have the best panel our lack of money could buy. First up, with the Hollywood perspective, you may know him as an airplane passenger who fights with Cedric the Entertainer, the guy who takes Black Lives Matter signs out of yards, the miniature sports fan that I believe covers himself in orange body paint, uh, a prison doctor, or the guy who hit a deer with his car, as I recall. Uh, but we'll always know him first and foremost as the Dungeon Bastard. Welcome back, Tom Lommel. Hey, thank you, everybody. I'm really uh, grateful for the opportunity. Uh, yes, I, I don't know that I can uh, speak for the entirety of the Hollywood experience, but <laughs> I am certainly a small piece of the Hollywood experience. So I'm, I'm really glad to be well, here. Well, you're our favorite piece of the Hollywood experience, so... Much appreciated. Yeah. yeah. Secondly, joining us, uh, representing uh, old school gamers and a setting expert. He's a successful author, a wizard, and most importantly, a librarian. Also, he's the creator of the Forgotten Realms. Welcome back, Ed Greenwood. Hi. <laughs> I, I have to yell. It's a long way from Canada. It is a long Hi. way from Canada. <laughs> So tonight we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons movie Honor Among Thieves that released last weekend, although a lot of people saw it before then, as of this recording. It's the story of Edgin the Bard and his party of heroes going out and saving the world from a problem that they helped create. Now in full disclosure, anyone besides myself saw a free screening of the movie? I've only seen um, I've paid for. I have seen both a free and a paid. I, I I paid myself, so uh, I my I've bought my own I've bought my own opinions, I guess. There you go. So I kind of want to talk about how this movie holds up as a movie, separately than how we're, how it holds up as sort of a representation of D and D, and since we have Ed here, the Forgotten Realms as a setting. Uh, so let's start off with how, what do we think of this movie as a movie? And I imagine we're going to get light spoilery, uh, but we're going to, I think, uh, we'll try to not be overly spoilery. You want me to just jump in? Jump in. Okay, I would say, um, if you're expecting Gone with the Wind or anything of that pacing, you will be sadly disappointed. It is a modern movie that starts off at a run and just keeps ramping up. If you are a fan of Marvel Universe movies, where... There is humor amongst all the explosions, actions, and killing. You will also find yourself on familiar ground. Ta-da. There you go. How's that? How's that for a non-spoilery? Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think it, it's a really fun movie. Um, yeah. And yet it it's not – like there are movies that are just sort of, I don't know, more or less turn your brain off uh, uh, popcorn movies, you know, that, that – certainly have a place in, in my heart. Um, I feel like this movie is maybe a little more elevated than that. 
Um, there was a sort of meaningful story to it. Uh, it you know, there was good, in, interesting characters who developed in interesting ways. They somehow managed to introduce us to, I don't know, what was it, nine different individual characters um, through the course of the movie in, in ways that I felt to be more or less meaningful. Um, so, what do you think? What do you think, Tom? I thought it was, you know, I think Ed kind of like hit the nail on the head when he, when he referenced the Marvel movies, right? It really had, I know some people have, I've heard some comparisons with Guardians of the Galaxy, and it definitely had that kind of vibe to it of like, here's an assortment of kind of misfit characters, each with their own sort of like niche kind of like... uh powers and kind of like individual personalities um that then you know go off and 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 exchange snarky remarks as they they get deeper and deeper into kind of their own misadventure um so i I really i i think one of the things that stood out to me was that i was surprised about was how young the casting of the main party was you know i i think that that dork the druid um, and Simon the Sorcerer were both sort of like uh, Chris Pine, who plays the Bard, and Michelle Rodriguez are obviously like the two adults. But I thought, you know, Simon and Doric are both sort of like late teens, maybe early twenties. Like I felt like they deliberately cast, or maybe it wasn't deliberate, but 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 they felt like younger characters who were sort of are kind of like developing characters. But I really felt like, I guess, on a on a larger level, it was like attempt to make this a movie that's relatable to the teen audience as well as like people who've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for decades like everybody in this you know in the in the chat here. So I, I thought that was a really interesting um casting decision that really had nothing to do with like script itself or or whatever. It was uh, uh maybe the short way of, of what I'm trying to say is if you have Teenage kids who like fantasy stuff and like action and adventure, then this is a movie that's solidly um, suited for them. You know, there's no rated R violence. It's not like John Wick or something like that. I don't remember. I was talking with some friends about it. I don't remember any actual like blood being shed. It's a very PG 13. You know, there's a couple curse words that those kids have already said and used themselves. Um, and that was uh, kind of a, a a refreshing kind of angle f- uh, for the movie for me. Yeah, although I mean, it, and there wasn't a lot of you're right. There wasn't a lot of gore, gore, but there was there were moments. Uh, you know, there there was a series of conversations. Let's say with some corpses that were um, <laughs> r- rendered in some detail. Um, and there was there were a series. I, I I went with my youngest, and he gets particularly. Um, he is particularly easily affected by jump scares. And so there were several moments where he sort of jumped out of his skin because uh, there was a handful of jump scares. And and her, uh, the Red Wizards, sort of in the climactic battle at the end, pulls out uh, one of the, the hand spells. And it was particularly sort of gory uh, in, its, in its depiction, right? Um, but, but you're not wrong. Like, it wasn't like stabbing people through the neck and, and spurting blood all over and, and whatever. It's fantasy Art. violence that's that's <laughs> yeah. It's fantasy violence that's more uh, in the vein of like I would say a light 
like like a, a, of a Marvel movie rather than fantasy violence that's in like a Game of Thrones kind of angle, right? I guess that's mm-hmm. that's maybe what I, I'm getting at. Um, it's yeah. it, it it definitely has violent uh, or at least creepy elements to it, but um, and and it does lean into kind of the 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 trope of you know someone's parent passes away. So those are that's also an element to consider if your kids are particularly. But I always I I personally I'm not a parent, so don't take my my opinion as 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 you know. Just let that inform your opinion. I I feel like if your kids are preteens, maybe they're not gonna get into it. But if they're thirteen and up, I don't think it's I don't think there's anything in the movie that they haven't already kind of had to process. And I thought there was one really good thing in this movie. It did show characters making moral choices mm-hmm. without stopping, putting a spotlight on them, having everybody go, oh, life-wrenching decision. It didn't stop. But you got to see that one of the things you have to do in it, with adventuring with a party, whether you're playing D&D or not, you know, anything, is your your friends depend on you. You have to make moral choices and we got to see them made in both directions because I, I again i don't want a spoiler but there is is a certain character whose first name begins with f who shows us some how shall i put it questionable moral mm-hmm. choices mm-hmm. Uh, in keeping with his character but you also get to see um the heroes make moral choices and do things and it isn't always just Oh well, I'm in an action movie, so what I do is hit things. Uh, you know, it, it, there were there were some choices made, and I liked to see that. I thought that was very good. Without getting moral or preachy or slowing down the action, you just had moral choices being made in front of you. Which, you know, again, if if you are parents and going, oh, should I subject my children to this nonsense? Uh, the answer would be yes, very much so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think too that you know that one of the things that was interesting to me was that the characters made you know f- flawed moral choices like without yes. without without th- that had consequences, but not weren't choices that were like that I would consider evil. They're just kind of like oh, well, I had a moment of 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 selfishness or a moment of thoughtlessness or whatever it was, and then it turned out that had consequences that I didn't expect. And I, I thought that was, you know, I thought I, I appreciated that in terms of these are not, you know, I think sometimes in Dungeons and Dragons, you can slap in an alignment on somebody and go, well, this person is lawful good and they only are going to act this way. And this is not a party of characters that 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 used to a one dimensional interpretation of good or evil or law and order. Although there's kind of, you know, there is a character who does kind of like <laughs> pop up and, 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 and play in that vein. So, so they do spotlight that, but it, but it, it, it makes the, I think the characters were interesting and relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we've talked about it as an action movie and we talk about it as, as having, you know, things being solved through violence and what have you. But at the same time, like, to, at least I would say of the the four main party members, um, only two of them really resolve their problems primarily through violence. Um, you know, the, the main character, um, I don't think, uh, 
having read the prequel novels and watched the movie, I don't think I've ever seen Edgen hold a blade for longer than like five minutes. And that was like a steak knife in a tavern. <laughs> I, I think Why have that, a blade yeah. when you can use the loot? <laughs> right. His loot is as weapon. I mean, that, I mean, that's what's just interesting though, right? Is like, like, uh, he, he uses his loot like basically once, as I recall, you know, he does, he does not, I, I, I read an interview with the directors and they said, you know, we wanted, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't Edgar the Bard use bardic magic, magic for interest instance and things like that. And they said, we wanted each character to kind of have their own silo. So Simon, the sorcerer is the magic person is the character who uses magic. And, um, now, Holga is definitely the character who is the fighter who uses you know, her axe and who 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 battles people with with fisticuffs, um, and the druid obviously has the shape shifting abilities and things like that. I, I thought that was a a, a very cool choice, um, and it certainly helps spread you know keep from like the magic solves everything kind of conundrum to from spreading all over the the character interaction. I also thought it was really interesting that. The lead character, Chris Pine's character, doesn't use any abilities other than and his wits and and talking to people and coming up with plans. He doesn't use he doesn't really like overtly use his music. Um, there's a couple of scenes where it's clearly like, well, maybe he's he's trying to console his companion. I didn't consider that like, oh, I'm using bardic inspiration to help her feel better or whatever. That was just, you know, was just two people sharing a moment and him trying to comfort his friend. Although certainly, um, so you, he does see you could see like the 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 typical movie sort of inspirational speech uh, translated into D and D as as a bard giving inspiration, right? I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you know when I think of like the game mechanics that that bards in fifth edition have at their disposal and the abilities that they have, he used out of all the characters, he used his class abilities the least. Yes, yes. I think I think it was the directors who said somebody made an observation that I agreed with, which was like, is. He's the guy in the party who's just sort of the casual gamer who doesn't really know a lot about the game or the system, who shows up, decides, like, I, I can play this. I don't need to read the rules. I don't need to look at my character sheet very much. And uh, it still works. It still and, works. And yet somehow he becomes the party leader. <laughs> I got the way. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's, that's reflective of real life, right? Like... Like that's it's it's not necessarily the character who's the most powerful or the strongest or the person who has the best grasp of the rules who becomes the party leader. I know in my own gaming group, we have one guy who's like just naturally very curious about the story, and he ends up being the party leader because he asks the most questions and decides where the story's going to go next. Um. And he's also had, in some ways, a lot more of the life experience. I know, like. Olga has her bit of life experience, but he had this whole time as a harper and doing a lot of stuff that also fed into things. Um, so he could also be that person that, you know, this isn't really what he wants to do. He's doing it because he's got to. Um, yeah, that was the a... one one thing as a sort of, you know, the guy who created the harpers and the setting and all that stuff. 
one thing that rang a little false to me. I could see Edgerin if he was like portrayed as 19 or 20 years old actually being a buffoon. Being as he looks much older and acts much older and has a back history and he's a harper. I wanted to see just a hint of no, he isn't a buffoon. He's playing a buffoon. Mm-hmm. It's a clever role he's playing. Because otherwise I just can't buy him as a, an expert harper who's lasted this long. Because wearing the harper pin is also sort of making yourself a target. Well, for certain and, people. And, that, and that's that's kind of the a, a major beat of the story too is that it made him a target right. and, and yeah. the consequences, and that's why he left. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it was like okay, um, that was the one bit I, I kept saying, okay, let's see if they rescue this. Let's see if they rescue this. He never really did. I did get to the I don't care anymore. I'm having too much fun with the story, <laughs> right. so let I'll, I'll let it ride. But, you know, um, because here's the thing: I'm trying to watch the movie as an immersion experience into the realms. Not did they get this right? Did they get that right? Right. Because that's a totally unfair way to watch any movie, and it's I don't want to spoil the movie for myself by doing that. No, when upon reflection, when I look back, I'm going, yeah, that's the one thing, you know. Uh, were you a buffoon? Were you playing a buffoon? I'd I'd love to see a little bit more of. Yeah, he's playing a buffoon, mm-hmm. and he's really good at it, you know. Well, in in, in uh, if we're lucky, we'll get a sequel, and we'll get to see that a little bit more. I I, I also saw an interview, uh, like Tom was mentioning, um, with the. I guess they were the directors, but also co-writers of the story, um, talking about the whole bardic magic thing as well. Uh, it may have been the same interview, but they did mention that if if there is a sequel, um, you know, they felt fairly confident that we would see some bardic magic in in the sequel. Excellent. I wonder uh, if you know. I wonder if there was. I, I think of. I think of two things along, when when Ed brings this up. One is, I could very easily see Edgen's character as being uh, played by the guy who wrote a huge long backstory and then hadn't actually like played through the part of it where he was an expert Harper and blah, blah, blah. He just wrote that in there. Um, and the DM was like, uh, okay, all right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, your backstory so I can see that. That, you're, that you're, your backstory indicates that you're 15th level, but we're starting a third level campaign. So what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, the other, there was a story beat in there too of, you know, like, you know, he kind of goes through this low spot where he, it it, it 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 talks about him like kind of drinking a little bit too much. It doesn't go deep into that, but I I wonder if that's sort of like a loss of competence for the character that he's you know he's not just internally conflicted, but he kind of goes through this low spot where he gets kind of rusty. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Are you talking about the 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 scene where he meets Holga for the first time? Basically, yeah. So, yeah, and it's just a series of shots in the movie, but we've read the book. Right. Jeff and I have read the the, the lead up book, so we've so that's why it's where we might have a slightly different perspective. But it's not fair for everyone to have to read the novel in order to understand that part about him. Yeah, yeah. The, the novel's, yeah, the novel's interpretation of him drinking and passing out is that he didn't even finish the one drink. He was just so exhausted from being a single parent that he just sort of fell asleep on you know at the 
at the tavern table. But the movie doesn't make that clear, uh, even if uh, yes. Julie, Julie Johnson's yeah. book does. So, yeah. I mean, maybe all of that is like I, you know, I, I, I think you, you, you start to walk a fine line between that PG thirteen that and that and that R thing, and and it's funny because maybe in the book they took more of a PG thirteen tack because they couldn't really hint at it as much because it's because it's a story, right? Whereas in the movie you throw in a couple scenes and one of them is him drinking and passing out, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's got a problem. <laughs> Well, and it's also but, worth noting that the book is being told, the story of the book is being told from his perspective. He's telling, it's, it's literally framed as him telling a story to his daughter. So, um, you know, he may not, you know, he may not be a reliable narrator in this situation either. Right. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. And then another thing the novels uh, pointed to that you had talked about earlier, Tom, was the age thing. So in the novels, Dork is younger. Like, so it's, intentional part of the story that at least her and I think Simon are a bit younger and just like on that uh, late teenager young adult part of their life and it's cool that you picked it up it's a really interesting choice, right? I I, I mean it it just it it stands out when you first meet them and um, it's definitely kind of like a through line for their character development. And I, I think that I don't think that would be the first thing that a lot of people sitting down to write a Dungeons and Dragons movie script would go, oh, th- these characters are 20 years older than, than the other two main characters, or 20 years younger than the other two characters, or whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah. It does make like, a, like kind of an interesting sort of like, pseudo family dynamic you know um mm-hmm. between uh holga and edgen and and then the other two characters although i never really felt like i never really felt like chris pine or michelle rodriguez's characters were trying to parent you know the sorcerer or or the druid that it really felt like they were compatriots in the in the group so mm-hmm. that would have been another way that they could have gone right is like okay um you know these are the kind of the parental figures now and uh and they have to sh- shepherd these two young initiates into the you know the world of adventure but that's not not the tact that they took and i i, I kind of i find that kind of commendable that the teenage characters are basically sort of treated as equals within the party yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah. in fact, Doric uh, is at one point very clearly being depicted as the responsible, you know, sort of thoughtful member of the party. Uh, you know, when the, when they <laughs> first when they first meet her and and they're and she's getting to know them and and she very blatantly asks the question that we've kind of been uh, hinting at as well. Uh, you know, okay, so we're going to do this thing, and you can do this, and you can do this, and Edgen, what do you what do you do? What, what do you, you know, what, what's your role here, right? Uh, which is kind of, because he doesn't do bardic stuff. So, so it's kind of uh, the same question we're asking. I, I thought that was hilarious because oh, yeah. um, when I, I was watching that scene, I it was almost like she's saying, I'm competent. What's your problem? Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely. It was also, <laughs> I, she raises an interesting point too, that, you know, it's a, it's a big kind of like, uh, highlighted aspect of her character that that she doesn't think humans are trustworthy, and you know, I I don't know that we ever get to the bottom of whether humans are actually trustworthy or not. I thought it was a that was a great perspective. Mm-hmm. Tracy, you were gonna say something. Um, I want one thing I wanted to talk about, and I don't think it's too spoilery. Is just so when I started D anD D, and I I don't have as many years experience as you as you folks do. Uh, 
about 13 years, I think now, it was when we started talking about the realms, one of the big things was that we play characters in the realms, but there's always these other characters that are very powerful and exist in there, and we just don't play them. They are kind of like things that are going on in the universe. I felt like that came through in the movie as well with a few of the, the characters. Um, and I'm forgetting the paladin's name at this point, but like him in particular and, and a few of the other ones. And I wanted to know how you folks felt about that. I thought that was one of the things they got right about the realms. That um, for player characters, whoever they are, are not the center of the universe. If you guys take a month off to heal your wounds or go to the Riviera or whatever, the world will roll on without you. There are other things happening in the world. That's always been the way that the I tried to portray the realms from the very beginning. And they got that without... Again, without stopping anything or being preachy about it, they just showed that to us, mm -hmm. which is the perfect, um, the one thing a movie can do, a, a book has to tell, a movie can show, and it can show and just move on so that it doesn't become a stop action or a moral lecture. It just, it feels real. It feels like you're in the middle of this. Um, to... Uh, moviegoers of my age, it's it's the the revelation that was 2001, Space Odyssey, when it first came out, where we're flying across the surface of the moon in the shuttle, and they're chatting about what they'll do when they get off shift, and there's the, all these screens, and they're pushing buttons, but to them, it's just like every day. No, they're getting to the end of the shift. So we stopped going, oh, gosh, Wow! Because the characters on screen are reacting like, oh, yeah, just another day at the office. So we accept it as real. And that's something I think the D&D movie did in another direction. It just kept the action amped up so fast and everybody's going, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to react. Oh, oh, I'll hit this guy with my loot. Oh, 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 oh. You don't have, there's never a time to stop and go, oh, he's casting a spell. It must be magic. Uh, you never get that moment of unreality that you get in bad fantasy movies where everybody goes, the CGI has to go here. So I will stop and I will pose. Then they'll brush it on later. And then somebody else looks to one side because they don't know where the guy's going to draw the fireball or lightning bolt or whatever. They look off to one side and go, you know, and, and you sort of go, uh-huh. But you see, we didn't get that ever here. We just got out. Oh yeah, this is everyday life for them. Mm -hmm. It's they're frightened. They're doing things they don't normally do. And yet it's everyday life. Mm -hmm. I, I thought one of the things that struck me as I was watching it was, how uh, many unconventional choices they took with the cinematography. There's a lot of shots where all of a sudden you are, you know, the, the, the frame is upside down and the character is right side up and then it flips around and, and, and goes through and out into a different vista and things like that. And a lot of times I think it can feel very sort of like um, they're artificial or somewhat show, you know, kind of, ostentatious kind of just showing off but i thought that it really did a good job of like bringing you into sort of like transitions through the fantasy world and the the world is is 
is familiar, but now you're going to see it in a totally different way, and that's that's part of what makes it this fantasy action adventure. Is uh, all of a sudden the way that you're looking at things is completely upside down. Um, there yeah. were there was it was very noticeable that like they made a a concerted effort, a deliberate choice, to, like take the camera places in different perspectives and make different moves that you know because they knew that there was going to be CGI in there or just because there's a spell happening and you need to see things differently because this is not, not normal. Yeah, I would agree with you very much there because I can recall one of the, the Western movies where they did things like there's a skull lying on the ground and the camera shoots through it at the characters. And while it was cute, that was my reaction as a, as a movie goer. Oh, that's cute. And I never got that distancing from the action reaction at all ever in this movie. Um, I just swallowed the action that they were handing me and, and enjoyed it. So, yeah, I would say job well done. So speaking of the, the, the work that was done with the effects and the cinematography to make the, the magic work and all that kind of stuff, I think I'd like to transition to having a conversation about this movie and its representation of D&D and of the realms. And I'll start off with a question from the chat room. Uh, Marcus Bird wanted to ask Ed uh, how much he enjoyed um, being able to see Faerun in live action with modern CGI and effects. I loved it. Um, I was sitting in the theater um, with a big smile on my face um, and really enjoying it because it was like, yeah, um, years and years ago, Anne McCaffrey, the science fiction writer, got to see one of our first successful um, lo- spacecraft launches to go to the moon, the Apollo one. She saw it with her daughter. And her daughter had been to school and had heard all the, the stuff and been taught by teachers. And the rocket's streaming up into the sky and Anne McCaffrey is bawling like a baby. And daughter looks at her and says, what's wrong, mom? It's, it's supposed to do this. Of course, Anne had been waiting for it for all these years to happen. So she was bowled over by it. Whereas to her daughter, it was just, oh yeah, they told me it would happen. So it did nothing magical here. But uh, I had that, that sort of split feeling because, you know, for me, the realm started when I was five, long before there was D and D like a decade before. And, it started as me imagining stuff. And there's always this horrible feeling that you'll get into the theater and they'll have gotten, quote, everything wrong, unquote. And, and they'll say, oh, I'm a Harper. And you go, no, you're not. There's some clown dressed up in the wrong costumes claiming you're a Harper. You know, and I never, ever had that horrible experience during this movie. I just said, oh, oh, that's, oh, oh, that's so-and-so, oh, oh. Um, so I, I, <coughs> I did all that silently because if there's one thing I hate, it's people in the theater moving, uh, ruining movies for everybody else in the theater. Um, so I, I was dead quiet during all of this, but I was sitting there going, oh, this is nice. Oh, this is far better than I dared to hope. Oh, good, this is... This is going to be a half-decent movie, period, on its own. Regardless of whether it's a good thing of the realms or anything, it's a good movie. That's going to be good for the hobby, because now gamers don't have to apologize for this movie 
if somebody who's a non-gamer said, so that's D&D, I went and saw it last night, that's D&D, eh? And you don't have to say, well, not really, or yeah, they got that wrong. You just say, yeah, that's D&D, and you could be proud of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and think... for me, that was the the job one. Right. You know, I th- and I think, I think you're right. I think, and I think the representation of, of, of the D&D, of, of what the game looks like in my head uh, you know, when I, when I'm playing D and D, the movie is pretty much the kind of thing that I'm that I'm imagining in my brain, right? Uh, in my imagination, mm-hmm. and I think it does a nice job of that. Uh, Mar- Marcus Bird followed up uh, with your story by by talking about how breathtaking he thought Neverwinter was in its depiction in the in the film. It it, it very much felt like a, a a large realm city to me, um, with the tall towers. And, I was I was actually killing myself laughing at one point because I thought it was really nice too, and and I, and I looked at a certain character. I'm trying not to spoiler here. But I'm looking <laughs> at a certain character on screen, and you say, and you let that guy in charge of it, right? Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but, no, but I tur- agree with you. But it turns out in the story, there's reasons that that guy ended up being in charge, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Um. Now, um. I I will. Uh, I, I've checked my NDAs before I came on, okay. okay? And and I can say certain things. And one of the things I will tell you is um, almost all the Hollywood studios have had a go at trying to make this, okay, over the years. I have sat through lots and lots of pitch meetings. And at one of them, just one of them, bless their little cotton socks, they they thought of asking me what I wanted in the movie. Oh. Just to be polite. Just to be polite, you know. And I said, whatever happens in the movie, show me the realms. Show me there's a huge world out there. Because then if you get to do sequels, you've already set up the fact that there's a huge world over out there and we can see more of it. And they nodded like I was some sage filmmaker and said, thank you very much, and wrote it down. And Arnett, they did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, at one point, they, they they literally showed a whole map of of the continent, right? And and we got to recognize yeah. there was a whole bunch of world out there. I mean, the the primary villain is is Fay, if you will, which is like the opposite side of the continent. So there has to be a whole bunch of stuff going on in between, right? Yes, yeah, and and I've been detailing Fay like mad, um, mm-hmm. not knowing. When I started detailing Thay like mad, not knowing they they were pulling this string, so that was just pure serendipity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I actually really like so. Um, since uh, you uh, as the creator of the realms have sort of given it, given it, uh, uh, since it's been transferred in ownership, let's say, uh, it feels like, uh, especially in recent additions of the game the realms have become more and more i guess diverse in the kinds of civilized races of characters that are just hanging out and and being part of of the cities and and what have you um and yeah and i really liked that you know we saw multiple dragonborn we saw aarakocra we saw uh halflings we saw um um tabaxi uh some of the more some of the more popular exotic um 
races of fifth edition mm-hmm. just sort of you know not not explained not a big deal uh although the eric just Coker, there the eric croker yeah. played a, a fairly interesting and, and hilarious role uh in the story at one point at all two points really um but but yeah just they were just there as part of the world and you get the sense that like sure our party is made up of two humans a half elf and a tiefling that all kind of look relatively human-ish right um but there is this larger exotic world out there, uh, and there's all these people, and that's just sort of normal. Nobody is freaking out about, oh yep. my gosh, there's a dragonborn over here. What's this bird person? Yep, yep, and that was my original realm, so I'm so glad we got to see it. Yeah. Um, um, finally. I mean, you know, what you got to remember is when they started publishing the realms, we were limited by the designers and artists on staff and their experience of the world and what they thought the audience for the game was. Mm-hmm. And they were different times. I mean, before computers, folks, everything was done by couriers. That was the you know cutting-edge technology then. They used to actually drive down to Chicago to O'Hare Airport because my tiny little branch library up in Canada had a teleprinter machine. And the nearest teleprinter machine that... PSR could get its hands on was that, uh, that they could walk in and use. They couldn't use the one at General Mitchell Field because, you know, they only had the one. Um, but they could go into a, uh, an office in O'Hare and type on the teleprinter and get a real-time answer from me and that was typed as opposed to just voices on the phone. That's how long ago Realms was starting up mm-hmm. in terms of a published setting. And we actually got to see some of that diversity, which I had in my original it just never showed up when you have artists who think that everybody should be depicted as a white Nordic Viking figure. You know, if they're a hero, they have blonde hair and big mm-hmm. muscles and look like a Marvel comic, but they also look like a Thor Marvel comic of the time, a Jack Kirby Thor, you know. That was the realms to them, and I kept saying, no, no, and I'd be cutting. You see, that's the other thing. We had to have um, art orders. Uh, which the artist never followed, but you were required as a, as a freelancer to send in an art order. And I would be rummaging all through the discarded magazines at my library, which were all French fashion magazines. And I'd be cutting out all these husky skinned guys from the Mediterranean, posing, holding up men's perfume, saying, yeah, it looks like that. Five o'clock shadow and all. And they'd go, oh, that's nice. And then they'd paint another white guy. <laughs> For me, listening to some of the the commentary from, like, not necessarily professionals, but people in the community about the movie has been like, well, how could they have Elminstrup look like that? Like, there's no way he would ever look like that. And I'm like, because we've talked before, and I was like, I I think Ed is really okay with that, probably. Like, I don't want to speak for you, but, like, Uh, and this is this disconnect that I'm, I'm feeling from parts of the community compared to, you know, particularly you and also what a lot of the 5e players are used to at this point like we've had 5e for a decade forgotten realms has been the default setting for it um we've had a lot of this already harpers and emerald enclave to some degree those are kind of also those characters like many of them know what those are and 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 can feel that right away even if the movie itself isn't centered around an established character set Sorry, that was just my. That was the thing I wanted to be able to talk about was because. I, oh no! Yeah, that's re- that's it. Yeah, dead on. Um, it is so nice to um, 
because again, like we were talking about earlier, movie doesn't have to stop and tell you. It can just show you and move on. So it becomes everyday life. And if the characters on screen are reacting like it's everyday life, and you do too, you just accept it. Oh, this is what they're no- this is what they're used to. Okay. Instead of stopping and going, oh my goodness, you know. And I, to me, um, I'm again, I'm trying not to spoiler too heavily, even though you know half the people watching this, it probably won't matter because they've seen it. Um, when I'm looking at a particular character, and I'm looking in effect at Ominster's guidance from long range of that character, and you're thinking, why does that character have a different skin color than Elminster? Well, why wouldn't he? I mean, Elminster seems to have um, gotten around, let's put it politely. Uh, <laughs> so why wouldn't he? Um, because enough generations have passed, and that's the other thing. You have to, you have to think about the un, unwritten but clear timing of the movie. A lot of time has passed, which is why you're not seeing in his old Elminster costume, running around on screen going, Hi, I'm Elminster! You know. <laughs> so, you know, I, I lost my chance at Hollywood stardom. Um, <laughs> I, had the, I had the gown picked out and everything. Uh, Tom, we haven't heard from you as, as we've talked about the, the, how the movie represents D&D and it represents the game. Uh, what do you think? I think one of the most interesting aspects to it is that uh, there are so few what I would, you know, in screenwriting parlance, you'd call lampshades. Um, you you just you you don't need to know anything about Dungeons and Dragons to enjoy this movie. It is straight yes. up a fantasy action adventure. And anything that you would need to know is explained or makes sense within the context of the of the movie um there are certainly you know if you know you know if you've read the monster manual there's little treats and easter eggs that you'll discover along the way but uh uh, there's added enjoyment but there's no moment where somebody like looks at the camera and like wheels their blade and goes natural 20 like and i'm glad (laughs) about that right no yeah you never saw the dice roll it felt like dnd but you never saw the dice roll or even worse, a, a Swiss Family Robinson moment. As you know, Father. <laughs> or how is it, Father, that our combined strengths... Oh, let me tell you. You know, there's <laughs> that never happened. Thank goodness that never happened. Mm-hmm. No, I, think, I think it does a really great job of, of bringing you into the world of the realms and not like... Instead of hitting you over the head with like, but this is a game, right? It's a game. You could play this game. There's a game to this. You know, there's none of those wink and nods. And, and I appreciated that about the movie. And it's been interesting reading about uh, where for some of the people that worked on it, I think in particular some of the writers where certain scenes were inspired by their own home game like potentially even a decade or so before and they brought that in and there was parts where when I was watching I was like that's gotta have come up in a game right like that that just feels a little too on the nose right mm. I don't I don't think it's a spoiler uh, one of my favorite moments is just the fact that one of the PCs is named Jonathan and <laughs> it's <true>. just 
you just know that that was the moment where the DM, like, like the, one of the players was like, okay, so who's on this panel? And it's like, uh, uh well, uh, uh, there's a guy named Jonathan. Like, he doesn't, <laughs> he, he, he couldn't come up with a better fantasy name that wasn't just like a, a horrible spinoff on Jonathan. Right. But then the players just like lean into it and start just saying the name Jonathan over and over, over and over, over again. <laughs> yeah, no. To me, that's the kind of in-joke that I think whether you play the game or not, you can enjoy and appreciate. But if you have played the game, you're like, oh, I've, I, I, I had that moment. I've been. <laughs> we've, we've. Absolutely. So there were also moments where, or there were elements of the story that were clearly, let's say, additions to or, or divergences from, uh, from the game in terms of the mechanics and things. Um, uh, Doric is a wild-shaping machine in a way that I don't think any version of the rules of D&D have ever supported. Um, you know, the, there are a, there's at least one or two um, major magic items that um, I don't remember ever seeing in any version of, of D&D. Um, that, that, that staff... That at first I thought was going to be their version of doing like a dimension door, but clearly has a lot more, a lot longer duration than any dimension door I've ever heard of. Um, Somebody's watched a lot of Portal right. or played a lot of Portal. Right. It was it was very <laughs> Portal like, uh, and so they created a magic item that was basically a portal gun, right? But it was, and 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 on, on one hand I'm like, well, I feel like you could have told the same story and tone like. And not gone so crazy with the wild shape. Yes, I don't know that yeah. you could have told the same story and not had the the portal staff or wand or whatever it was, because um, that ended up being pretty I, crucial to what they did. I don't mind new magic items. Every dungeon master does that at the table. Sure, I mind when uh, intellective hours don't behave the way the rules say, and you could. You could get rid of it with one line saying, oh, a lesser intellect hour or whatever. See, uh, see to... I, I watched your video and I, where you talked about that that we released what, yesterday yeah. or today. And, yeah. and I was completely I – I am still completely ready to let the, the intellect hour thing go. It doesn't bother okay. me in any way, shape or form because it was hilarious. Oh sure, it was hilarious. I just thought, I just thought lazy writing that you could have fixed with one line. I mean, I, it was the whole, it was the screenwriter in me going, "Come on, guys!" And the other thing, and and the campaign buster one for me that was more important. I created sending stones years and years and years ago, and I I had to nerf them terribly because they completely change how all bad guys, all cabals, all cults. All trading costers, every little mm -hmm. um, three-person merchant, why don't we combine against the successful guy in town so we can get rich? Um, I had to nerf them so they could be used once, so they're practically a sending spell. That's it. You can't talk back and forth as a walkie-talkie, and you can't four-way them the way they do, and so on. It was like, you know, if you'd kept them the nerfed way, which... I didn't put in, in-house designers put in, because they said, you know, you realize that this nerfs a complete campaign. We've got to make it less powerful. Fine. If you put those limitations in the movie, it would have upped the stakes and made it a better scene. Yeah. So I think to myself, why didn't you? And you know, because just... 
and honestly, they like the 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 uh, as Elven Wizard King called them in the chat, the the Iraqi talkies, if you will. Uh, yeah, they 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 weren't even like they were pretty crucial for one thing in terms of they were talking and then suddenly they weren't and that meant somebody was in trouble, right? That that was really their their purpose in the story. You could have like they but they didn't use it that much. They didn't go back and forth yeah. constantly. So if they did put limitations on it, it would have been more or less the same. <laughs> yeah, but then exactly. they would, then they wouldn't have had the nod to leverage though. Oh, is that his name? Yeah. Because leverage does a lot of that type of communication and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and the other thing is, I think in the end, Ed, what it really proves is that you were right, that they were cool. They were potentially cool to have in the game. Sure. <laughs> and the not less nerf farm. <laughs> and I think they've brought them in the newer editions. They have brought them and made them for only in certain adventures and only within the confines of this dungeon does it work this way type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, to me, it's, uh, I mean, I, 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 I looked at the movie and I thought, well, they'll, they'll fix the Druid weld shape in the next edition of the rules and they'll, they'll <laughs> unmake it a, as a mistake. And, uh, what the hell? No, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, that didn't make me go, oh, come on in the theater, you know, um, certain, certain, uh, it, that's what I'm looking for in a movie to avoid those come on moments. If I don't mind while I'm watching, then it's okay. And that's been one question I've been wrestling with: is like, are, are they are they expecting uh, Dork to be a druid that you can play at your table, like the players can play as a player character at the table, or is she like a new character that's being introduced to the realms that just uh, breaks the rules of what most people can do? Well, there's obviously some of that, right? And, and the Albert thing is is the first uh, point of that. And and I don't know if you've gotten this far yet in the second prequel book yet, Tracy. But um, the Druids call. I finished the book. Yeah. So Druids call by E.K. Johnston. Like I don't know. It felt to me like one of the main points of them having somebody write that book was to be like, no, no, no. Really, it's okay that she turns into an Albert. We know it breaks the rules. It's part of her backstory. Here you go. <laughs> you know, so uh, that book was largely to explain how the heck she could turn into an owlbear. But it doesn't explain, like, the it, the, the way she wild shapes reminded me of uh, Sword in the Stone when when um, there's, like, the... Oh, yeah, madam, duel. yeah. <laughs> the shift-shifting duel, yeah. Yes. Uh, there, was no, there was no rests. There were no twice and you're out. It was like bing, 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 because we need it on screen, well, and, and it looks and cool. And she would change from one animal into another animal into another animal over, you know, um, uh, over and over again. Um, uh, and, and whenever she wanted to, right, with no limitations. Yeah. And, and I think like they probably could have toned it down a little bit, right? They could, in this. I'm thinking of the scene when she was spying right and then she had to escape and she turned into i don't know seven or eight different creatures in in this escape um they probably could have done two or three creatures made it just as exciting and thrilling um and not quite gotten so egregious (laughs) with uh the breaking of the rules yeah you see my point on that would be it would have made it more exciting more tense because she knows she's got a limit right and she's 
up and along and trying to stay out of sight when she changes because she knows she's limited. Instead, it was like, no problem, I got this. Bump it a bump it a bump. And it's like, no, you missed a chance at picking up the excitement mm-hmm. and giving uh, something that we don't see enough of on screen, which is a female lead, have a moment where center of attention's on her and we get to see her struggling with limitations and taking care of them. Instead, it was like, yeah, I, I've got all these powers, da 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 And to me, that almost like like throwing away a chance. Mm. Maybe, maybe it's the old fart in me who's seen too many <laughs> Hollywood movies that, that basically treated the woman as arm candy, you know? Well, Not that I don't I, mind I, arm I think... candy, but... <laughs> I think of the of the, of the four main characters, I feel like Doric's character arc is the the weakest and the least developed, right? Like obviously um Chris Pine's character is the is the most developed and I would argue that that between I would say Simon's character arc is even more developed than Holga's, right? Holga has a character arc where she kind of like learns to find her own family and 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 no longer live in the past but really Doric's character arc is don't really trust humans and i don't know why i should save them i guess i will and and at the end she has no more reason to trust them and save them than she did at the beginning <laughs> uh so i i feel like 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 um i feel like it would be given that she's sort of sidelined a little bit at in in, in the party i i, I kind of feel like she she might almost be an npc in the party as opposed mm-hmm. to like a fully realized adventuring character it would be difficult to introduce those limitations without trying to without expanding kind of the the the, the scope the or without without the, the focus of story um Main protagonist getting a little bit watered down, but I I, I agree with you. Like I, I guess the, the 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 counterpoint I would make is that the movie does a terrific job of giving DMs the freedom to not worry about the rules from minute to minute to minute. Um, you know when we talk about the 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 portal staff as being like, well, that's overpowered, or you know, or the sending stones as being overpowered. I'd be worried more about the sending stones kind of like Jeff said, if they had been introduced right at the beginning and then like they were just magical walkie talkies all the time. And, 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 and I, I was glad that they had a fairly limited role within the plot overall plot. And they only had a little bit of screen time. The, 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 the staff that created the portals, every GM has created a magic item that they thought was cool that then got out of hand, but then it led to some really interesting um, solutions that the players could come up with. Like, I think the great takeaway from that is not that, like, oh, this magic item was OP. It's that I gave them this magic item, which isn't a weapon and is ostensibly for travel. But it turns out it's a really interesting tool that they used in a super creative way to solve very big problem and uh i i was reading some i was reading a game um i i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head it wasn't specifically a D game it was like in you know one of those 
old school renaissance inspired by kind of six page games and one of the founding principles of the game right up front was tools not weapons give your players tools they can use to solve problems don't just give them another plus one plus one plus one sword uh, and I thought that was really insightful advice, and I and I thought, kind of the the portal staff, if we want to call it that, was was that being demonstrated in the movie right there. Mm-hmm. No, no, I agree, and and the, ultimately the the magic item things didn't bother me much at all. The um, the reason that the druid wild shape thing, I mean, it was fun. Uh, but the reason it does bother me a little bit, it goes back to that question that Ed brought up uh, early in the in the discussion of when somebody asks me, "Oh, so this is D and D?" Now I've got, and, and they come in and they want to play a druid. I got to I got to add a caveat. Well, yes, this is D and D. However, you're not going to do the stuff that's happening in the movie in this case, right? And so that's the only part of it that bothers me. As a story, it's fun, it's interesting, it depicts wild shaping well. Um, it just doesn't depict the limitations of wild shaping that I would then have to explain to somebody. Yeah, and and we used to call that a burning the property, as in respect the property, don't burn it for five second uh, payoff in your story. Well, and I, and I guess the, 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 the flip side or the counterpoint to that that I would make, and, and, I, and you know, I agree, like, that creates a problem, ex- except that that problem pre-exists movie. Sure. And, and honestly, like, like I've, I've, I, I sat down, this was a number of years ago, but I sat down to play with some, like, uh, 12-year-old kids. So, like, some friends of mine, uh, their kids were, like, I want to say like 10 and 12 and they were ready to like try a role-playing game and so we sat down um and played D and it was a disaster because their whole lens of the magical world came from at that time was filtered through harry potter sure. they're right. like well i'm gonna cast my magic missile spell and it's like Okay, but you, you you can only do that one time. You know that, right? Like you know, or whatever the spell was. It's like you know, this is a resource management thing, and they're like, no, you just say the words and you wave your wand, and then the spell goes off. And so I, I think you know, newcomers come into D and D, they're already going to come with a whole bunch of like preconceived notions of what the game is about. That I I think the you can't change into seven different animals, you know. Right in a row is kind of like the least of your problems. Well, I mean, and, yeah, I mean, and Harry Potter is not trying to pretend to be D and D. The D and D movie is, <laughs> so it's a little bit different. But exactly, but I can still forgive it, you know. <laughs> so. Well, and there's also a thing like a lot of times those rules for resource man, like it's not just for combat, but a lot of them are. So would you ever, as a DM, allow for them to go beyond that in what was basically a skill challenge more than a a combat, right? That wasn't a combat scene. That was a how are you going to get from here to here um, and and, and get out of this mess? Mm -hmm. And you might, as a DM, for instance, just say, well, you're exhausted afterwards or you you take this penalty if if you really wanted to. But it's about the rule of cool and, and being able to tell the story within the confines of the rules um, that we have to make it so one person doesn't just take over the story and everyone gets to shine. Yep. 
James V is pointing out that uh, the the portal staff is called the hither thither staff, which which I actually remembered, but I like portal staff better, and it's easier to uh, to it, it better describes what it actually does. So, um, okay, uh, so we've been talking for almost an hour now. Who has some last thoughts? What what do you want to say about the D and D movie Honor Among Thieves that we that we haven't discussed yet, but but is on your mind? I'm just I'm a hard pressed to to come up with something that we haven't really covered because we did do a pretty good job of covering all of the dimensions of the movie, and I I I do think it's you know a solid, enjoyable, relatable, uh, fantasy action adventure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't. I think if you go in with those expectations of I'm going to be entertained for two hours, uh, it, it's 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 terrific. Um, if you're expecting something that's like uh, a lot deeper than say um, you know the a Marvel movie kind of level of experience, um, I'm not sure that that it's there. But that's not what it's trying to be. I I, I do think that there's like, you know, I, I I'm I'm not ashamed to admit that like. Towards the end, there's a very like heartfelt moment uh, of, of 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 pathos and sacrifice, and you know, like Ed was saying earlier, of uh, a moral decision making, and uh, I thought it was very well done. So, uh, it, it in in that respect, like um, it it follows follows the Hollywood formula in a good way, is what I I guess I would say. You you, you compare it to a Marvel movie, and I kind of. Um... I kind of think if you've ever wondered, like, what would happen if Guardians of the Galaxy took place in Middle Earth? This is the kind of story that would be told, you know? Uh, it, it sort of has that that pacing and that, that wit and that humor, that level of action, but it's set in this very uh, high fantasy um, setting. So it's, a, so it's very different in that way, right? And and I think like if if anything if there's a criticism to be made I think maybe that's 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 what it is is that you know it follows the mold of the very successful you know superhero Marvel superhero franchise you know the characters are a little quippy and a little snarky and always have a clever rejoinder for when something happens um, uh, you know some of the action beats are clearly inspired from other pieces of cinema um, but. It's all very well executed. It's a, a terrific kind of like exploration of the world of the realms. And, and as Ed said, it's not just set to one location. If anything, like if I was going to have another criticism, it would be like we get a lot of flashback itis. I think there's a lot of like, oh, how do you know that? Well, let me tell you the story of our battle with the cult of the dragon. Cut to, you know, to that scene. Um, you know, I don't know. Know that there are there's a more efficient way to keep things moving or to cut to a different action scene than the choices that they made. I, I think there are certainly different ways to do it, but it's not the same movie that you're making, right? Like you are making a fantasy action adventure movie that's that that has all of the trappings of a modern superhero movie and uh, that's the genre. So if you're one of those people who's like, Well, I hate that Tony Stark always has a clever rejoinder for everything, it's like Okay, well, if you don't feel like that's entertaining, you know, movie going, then maybe it's not for you. But um, there's plenty of people out there who who don't necessarily feel that strongly about it. Yep. 
one of the things I saw in that um, in the interview that I alluded to earlier, it was um, when they were talking about the potential of a sequel. Um, the creators mentioned that um, that in the future, if they get a chance to do more D and D movies, um, they are recognizing the, and there's a, a, a wealth of interesting d and D settings that we could explore and and I'm a little torn on that because they're absolutely correct. There is a wealth of settings to explore and stories to tell uh, at the same time like but they've already invested an audience in these characters and sending these characters to Eberron or Dark Sun or whatever pretty dramatically changes the type of story that's being told and I'm not sure if I'm on board with that at this point. So, I I mean, it's way too early to be criticizing those decisions, right? Uh, but, but it was an interesting comment that they made. I think to kind of pick up on one of our earlier points, if, if in a sequel you hold on that string of Dork isn't just a regular druid, all of a sudden shift her into kind of like, well, why does she do this? And what is it like to be a tiefling among, you know, normal mortals or whatever uh you keep the same core group of characters together but you've got a fantastic place to explore in terms of where where to go with the story yeah absolutely mm-hmm. well and they, they layered in a lot of like sure the the big bad was this wizard of fey right but but they they were not subtle that that there are people above her that she is simply a, a puppet uh, along the way, and so there are definitely more stories uh, and villains to stories to tell and villains to thwart. There's always and if you co- were going to if you were going to continue this story, where would you where would you pick it up from? What, me me <laughs> yeah. why not? We're playing what if. <laughs> There's a piece. Let me let me narrow it down. Oh, if there's a piece okay. of the realms, if there's a piece of the realms that you would want that want them to explore next, where would it? Where would it? Where would the story go? Oh, okay. No, I would I would answer that another way. Not a geographical place. I would immediately show. Okay, this happened in the first movie, and you can do that in a, in an intro flashback before the movie gets going. A pre-credit scene. And then you get to see the reaction of the power groups we didn't see react all over the realms. In other words, you stirred the pot, you threw the the hot ghost peppers into the middle of your um, stew that you're making, and now here's the reactions all over the realms. Because that once again, that shows you, look, this is a big world. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different mortals living in it. They're not all human. They're all different. You know, let's get the beholders reacting to this. Let's get the various dragons, not just one fat one who gets moved from one place to another with no lore explanation, because literally he couldn't get out of the caverns of the old one. He was too fat. <laughs> but somehow he's magically that. You know, um, why don't we have like other dragons reacting, going, hey, wait a minute, look what just happened there. So, and then where you go in the movie can be any story you want to tell. And I agree with you. Developing something out of one of the characters we got to see in the first movie, like Doric, is a very good way to go. I mean, it, it's 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 integral. It feels right. But if you get momentary reactions so that everybody realizes, this is like the real world, where if you do something in one country, all the other countries that border onto it have an opinion, will have a reaction. You're not alone in this. 
if you did that, I would be delighted. That would be the little grace touch that I'd want. Yeah. As opposed to, as opposed to, do I have a hit list of, of geographical places I'd love to see? I mean, um, when, you, when you do Lord of the Rings, it's a quest, and you're seeing things through the eyes of the country bumpkins, the hobbits, as they go across the world. So you want to show them the Argonauts. You want to show them all the little, you know, oh my goodness, we're going through Moria. Oh my goodness, Rivendell. Oh my goodness, mountains. Oh my goodness. You know, you're, you're showing them all that stuff. I don't know if that's what you want to do in the realms. I think it is better, like I was saying earlier about 2001, if you just plunge them into the middle of your story and the stuff is just around it. You go, wow, I wanted to see more of that, that broken off overgrown statue, but it was only on screen for five seconds. And then somebody like us does a video saying, oh, that was actually the statue of, and you go, oh, I want to see more about it in the next movie. Good. You're hooked. You're hooked. Begin the expanded universe. Mwah! <laughs> I feel like there's a whole movie that could be set in Waterdeep, but that's just me. No, of course. Let me at it. I think uh, I think the the story that they're telling and the future stories that could be tell, told are sort of built on the history of Edgen and Holga, but I think they could also be built on the future of Simon and Doric. I think those are the two characters being the younger characters that feel like there's a lot of potential of where it could go and, and what they could be doing and what have you, right? Uh, and I think that could be really a really interesting thing to explore in, in the setting and in the story. Um, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think showing sort of the, um, the reaction of the world, I could totally see an interesting... Uh, beginning of the next story where where lady illustrials like uh so this thing happened i'm gonna need you to come over here and go ahead and have a talk to, with me about about this you know um you know um th th things could get real interesting uh and there's a lot of places it could go without leaving the realms i had some thoughts too i wanted to share if that's okay yeah if it's a good point um so these both the novels and the movie are what I wish I had been introduced back when I did start playing, uh, getting really involved with D and D, uh, you know, ten or so years ago. Because like we had these female characters, they were for the most part the more physical characters, like uh, doing like with Holga being the barbarian and then the Albert, to be honest. Uh, but it wasn't like anyone had to explain why they were able to do this stuff. Nobody had to be like, well, Holga, you know, did all of this training for a very long time. And she just happens to be one of the few women that can wield an axe. And that's just how we got her. It's just, that's what happens. That's how she is. And they just happen to be with Edgen and, and Simon, who aren't the, the physical types. There's no reason for that. <laughs> Other than that's how it is. And I really enjoyed that. And it was nice and it, it, nobody had to argue or nobody has to argue with it or, or anything like that. It's, that's just the story. So I really appreciated that a lot. That's the main thing I want to say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I think uh, I think all in all what we're saying is um, there, are, there are many things to discuss in the movie. But generally speaking, we all thought it was uh, a fun romp and we hope they get to make more of them. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. And 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 hopefully in a in a future uh story there'll be there'll be uh, uh 
a farmer wandering the background with a long white beard played by Ed Greenwood just as a little cameo. That'd be fun to watch. <laughs> I, I've, I've got the clothing, I've got the field, and I've got I've got the poo on the field. There, so, there yeah, go. we're ready to go. There you go. I'll save, them, save Hollywood all that money. <laughs> just come out and see Ed's house. Maybe, maybe uh, Ed, maybe you can get some of those, uh, those delicious Canadian film credits uh, for production, you know. There you go. Yes, um, I've got the backless gown all picked out for the red carpet. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. All right, we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode then. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Ed Greenwood. Where can people go if they want to find more Ed Greenwood on the internet? Oh, my goodness. Okay, three places, four places. Greenwood's Grotto on Discord, where you can hang out and talk realms. I'm at the Adverse on Twitter. And I, I chat about things, and I post doggerel. And uh, I have a Patreon, Ed Greenwood on Patreon, where I drop my own home campaign fan realms lore and answer realms lore questions uh, every day, all day, every day, and I never sleep. And then the last thing is I'm working on Fate of the Norns with Andrew Volkoskis. So at Pendlehaven's website, you can see um, I'm doing the complete detailed fantasy city where every single building is detailed and every single building has an NPC in it. All 96 city blocks, all 1,400. Uh, it's been three years so far and I'm still working on it. Ah, that's me. Excellent. Uh, Tom Lommel, where can people go to find you? You know what? Before I before I pitch my own self, which I, I have very humble offerings to pitch anyhow, but uh, very much related. If you enjoyed the movie and you want to know more about the Red Wizards of Thay, Ed, along with the, my friend Alex Kammer and uh, Alan Patrick, wrote a book all about Thay um, that came out what last year, I believe. Um, that is on DMs Guild, and you can get it as a PDF, or you can get it as a, as a print-on-demand hardcover or softcover. Um, encourage everybody listening to go to uh, DMsGuild.com and search for Thayland <laughs> of the Red Wizards uh, to craft their own next chapter of the D&D movie. Uh, yes. Um, Thank you. As far as... Of course, of course. Um, if if uh, as far as things that uh, that that I'm up to, um, I'm really kind of like heavily pursuing my uh, my career in Los Angeles in Hollywood. Uh, as Jeff pointed out, I, I had recent appearances on uh, The Neighborhood and a show called Grand Crew and uh, the ever austere Days of Our Lives. So uh, hopefully you won't have to seek me out. Hopefully I will just pop up in front of you, whether it's with my uh, terrible, terrible uh, mustache or otherwise. Um, uh, hopefully I, uh, I, will, I will just apparate in, in, in front of your field of view rather than anything else. But uh, if you do want to uh, chat with me about RPG stuff... Um, you can follow me at six hit points. Uh, that's spelled out six hit points. Um, and I'd share random stuff there, uh, about RPG things that I find interesting, uh, Kickstarters or what, what, what have you. Um, you can follow my own personal account on Twitter if you want at Tom Lommel, um, T O M L O M M E L. Although that's usually me complaining about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Um, Amidst posting pictures of my dog, so uh, uh, 
<laughs> Come for the hot political takes. Uh, stay for the pictures of our adorable four-year-old greyhound. Um, so those are the those are the two main things. I don't have anything in the hopper that I can announce. I don't have any commercials that are coming up or anything like that. Um, we'll see kind of how things go in LA here in the next um, month or so because there's the strong possibility of a writer's strike happening and that will impact work. Um, I may be making an appearance at Gamehole Con this year. Um, I'm still working out the details for that. Uh, I, I will post on both of my Twitter accounts, assuming that Twitter is still working once that gets finalized. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, every day something dumber. I, I was I was talking to my wife today that it's it's really sad that uh, Elon Musk's leadership is indistinguishable from that of a fourteen year old boy who's watched too many YouTube videos. So uh, it's it's a particular sore spot for me because uh, that is that is the place where uh, I, I I first met uh, met my wife and met many of you. And uh, it's 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 a sad thing to see it uh, being systematically ruined and and dismantled. But uh, we'll move on to I, I don't know. A lot of people are on Discord now. I'm not. <laughs> I did my time in the in the web forums back in the early two thousands. I'm not sure I can go back right now. <laughs> uh, but that's me. That's me. So uh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity and. Uh, I'm I'm so humbled and pleased to be in good company here with Ed. So yeah, and I just as noticed, well as the two of you. I just noticed that your <laughs> shirt says eighteen double odd. You're playing second edition. I'm repping D Brian Brian Patterson. That's a D twenty oh, monkey special. You nice. can go to uh, go to D twenty monkey and uh, find yourself a T-shirt. Yep, I had to uh, to get the nerd merch out. There you go. Very good. All right. Get it out. <laughs> I had to pick a piece. <laughs> Thank you both for joining us. It's been great t- catching up with both. We've had both of you on the, the podcast before, but I don't think it's been, I think it's been a very long time. I think the last time Tom was on, um, it was, um, it was specifically about the dungeon bastard, which you haven't done in a while. Uh, and Ed, I, I don't know when the last time we, we've managed to chat. Uh, it's been a long time. The world was black and white. It was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also want to thank all, all of the people who support the show by being patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. If you'd like to contact the show, you can contact us at the Tome Show at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter for as long as it lasts at Sarah Dark Magic, that's Sarah with an H. Jeff is at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, or Squatch at DiceCamp.com, and The Tome Show is at The Tome Show. And it's, it's Dice.Camp, not DiceCamp.com, but yes. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The youngins. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and that is episode 357, where we went all Hollywood in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm off the wall.